Hello and welcome to a new episode of the All Plane Podcast, where we explore different aspects of the aviation industry in the company of expert professionals. Quick reminder that you can check all episodes of this podcast, as well as many other interesting stories about airlines and aviation, on our website, allplane.tv. That's A L P L A N E dot TV. One of the things I enjoy about doing this podcast is the chance to learn about those aspects of commercial aviation that are usually not in plain sight. For example, a few days ago, we did have an interesting chat about the wall of aviation fuel together with a couple of experts. And today we're going to cover another industrial aspect of commercial aviation. That's parts and spares. Our guest today is Alex Duran. He is the co-founder of Nexpairs, a consultancy firm based in Switzerland that helps airlines source parts and spares in the most efficient way all over the world. If an aircraft is, as a common joke in the industry goes, a set of parts flying information, where do those parts come from? Uh, how do airlines get them? What sort of procedures are in place in order to prevent counterfeiting? We are going to talk about all these matters today. So without further ado, let me welcome our guest. Hello, Alex. How are you? Good, good. Thanks, Miguel. Today you are in Barcelona, but you are usually based in Zurich, in Switzerland, where you co-founded a company called Nextpairs. This is this is correct. So I'm originally from Barcelona, but many years ago I moved to Switzerland for my studies, and uh, there I also worked uh, for for an operator in Switzerland. And uh, in the end, together with uh, with the business partner, we we started Nextpairs in 2018. Can you tell us what Nextpairs is about? You are in the market for spare parts and components for aviation, but you are actually a consulting firm. So can you tell us a bit more about what you guys do? Sure. So yeah, Nextpairs is uh, it's it's a very innovative concept that so far we we didn't find in the market, and we are a consultancy uh, that helps uh, operators mainly, but also maintenance organizations improve. Uh, their efficiency. So as I said, we started uh, in 2018, so we are now ending our third year and uh, everything starts from our wish to increase the the efficiency of of aviation, particularly the efficiency of operators, both from the financial and also from the operational side. And uh, what NextPair stands for, so the, 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 the NEX at the beginning stands for a network of experts. So we are teaming together, so we founded NextPair as, as, as a network, so we are two people in the company, but we have a huge network of other individuals that help us complement our knowledge. And whenever we are not the experts in a subject matter, then we turn to other people. And we essentially connect our our clients with uh, our know-how or external know-how, but very focused, as you say, on the spares management, so to say, and also more specifically into the supply chain and procurement part of it. So we, we deal in the aftermarket and we help operators essentially buy better and spend better. So that's uh, improving their bottom line by, by doing things better than they are doing it. So while we were in the past working with, uh, with other companies, 
we saw potential for improving a lot of things, uh, processes that were inefficient, organizations that were dysfunctional, and we want to bring all this, this know-how we acquired during, during the years in, in regional operators, in big flagship operators. We want to bring it not only for smaller operators, but also in bigger organizations too, to highlight how, how inefficient sometimes things are done in aviation. You and your co-founder, uh, Jasin, you came already from this world of aircraft MRO? We, we, were, we have worked in many, in many operators for many years. Uh, and as I say, it, it's, it's a big span of, of, of types of operators. And we were exposed also through the network, through working uh, for many years in this, in this environment. We were also exposed to other kinds of operators, charter airlines, smaller uh, startups uh, so we we got the chance to see a lot in aviation from from say from the operator side and we decided to jump and and try our luck with with this new adventure which is it's just proving good and it's proving exciting uh, even the times are tough right now but uh, we are we are making our way and we are starting to to get appreciation from the market and, and word of, of mouth starts to to run through through our network and we are really happy to to keep on on working in this in this very very interesting business i would say i actually had the chance to uh to learn about it when i was researching an article that was published by cnn recently about aircraft that got dismantled and uh, how aircraft are uh, stripped of all valuable parts and i remember you and justin explained me a little bit how this market works um, but so that's why, you know, I thought it was interesting to speak uh, with you today to, to learn about a bit more about this market so that our audience uh, can get a few ideas about what's a value chain and what are the market players, how airlines keep aircraft operational, uh, how they source all these, all these pairs and parts. There's a very interesting um, aspect here, which is all the, you mentioned the aftermarket, secondhand uh, market for, for all sorts of components for aircraft. Exactly. Exactly. So it's very, I mean, there, there's a, this, this joke that says that an, an aircraft is no, it's only a set of parts flying information. Uh, and that, if you, if you think about it, is actually quite true. So uh, it's all the parts that make some kind of specific function, then they fly together and they make an aircraft essentially fly. But of course, we all know that uh, things not always uh, work according to the plan and, and parts break and things happen not only because the parts break, but also mm, because uh, events, unforeseen events happen. And that means that sometimes these parts need to be replaced. Um, so there's a huge universe of, uh, as you say, primary and secondary market of spare parts. So all these, uh, these aircraft manufacturers essentially have made some contracts with uh, big uh, OEMs, uh, equipment manufacturers, um, and, and, and the, big, the big players here, they are United Technologies, they are Safran, they are uh, so some big known uh, names in the market. So they, they primarily produce these parts, but after they are sold once, uh, there's also the possibility that these parts somehow go into a second life by being refurbished according all regulations and according all manuals. But parts essentially are repaired and all, almost all aircraft in the world are flying with secondhand parts, which are perfectly safe and perfectly all right to fly. But yeah, there's there's this... this uh, kind of business behind that the passengers normally don't see 
which is a huge supply chain of uh, suppliers, of traders, of repair facilities who are performing an outstanding job uh, at keeping keeping the availability of parts uh, there and also the costs for the airlines lower because as you can imagine, newer parts or new parts have uh, higher price tags that, than refurbished ones. So that also helps operators keep their prices uh, for the tickets lower. There's essentially two ways of, of, of seeing this or, or how, how aircraft operators get the parts. So it's either through big volume contracts that they assign to some kind of specific suppliers where they say, okay, supplier A, you are supposed to provide me with all the parts and you should take care of this. Or in bigger organizations, when you have your own teams able to manage this, you can essentially go ad hoc in the market and find these parts um, available wherever in the world they are. Sometimes they are close, sometimes they are not so close. But um, it's, it's these two concepts of, of sourcing, either via contracts with, with, a, with a safe uh, supplier, with some kind of safety, with some agreements, or ad hoc when you say, okay, let's, let's try to find these parts in the market. Because I imagine every aircraft has thousands of tens of thousands of different parts and components. So it's, uh, we are talking about many different uh, sub-markets here. Can this you, is correct. You, you, you go from, I guess, from very large pieces of equipment to uh, things like as small as a, as a little screw or something like that it needs to be also certified and, and approved and, and validated. How you manage all this complexity without going crazy? I mean, you, you, you guys, you are um, managing this for large airlines. And so basically you are providing advice on, on how to get the best uh, options for all these materials. Exactly. So thankfully, not all the parts in an aircraft break normally, and that decreases part of this uh, complexity. So yeah, to produce an aircraft, you would have millions of, of different part numbers to, to put together to assembly an aircraft. Thankfully, not all of them break, so that makes a bit life easier. Um, and there's a lot of commonality with fleet types. So one can imagine that a 320 of a similar age, they have a similar composition. So that makes uh, this, this commonality of parts that decreases the, the, the complexity of managing spare parts. Still, it's a very complex, um, complex market because it is highly regulated and you are, as an operator or as a maintenance organization, you are not allowed to do whatever you want with, uh, with an aircraft. You have to do it in accordance with all regulations, all manuals uh, and all the indications. So you are not able to say, okay, I'm going to change this flap for another flap or use, a, I don't know, a 737 flat for a 320. That, of course, doesn't work. It wouldn't even fit. One so question, there's a lot. One question, if I can stop you here. How common are the parts between different OEMs? So are there many commonalities between what goes inside an A320 and a 737, for example? Or this is a bit like the, like the iPhones and the other phones that all have different different plugs and every new generation has a different little detail that makes it incompatible with the previous ones. It's, uh, it's funny you ask because with, uh, say there's a lot of commonality sometimes within the same aircraft manufacturer. So let's, let, let, let's choose Airbus or Boeing. If you, within, within those 
those uh, manufacturers, there's a possibility that you have commonality even across different fleet types. So um, imagine a 320 has sometimes commonality in some parts with uh, 330s, for example, uh, or 340s, or a 777 can have commonality with a 737 in some cases, rather limited, I have to say, too. So it's not a lot of parts, but sometimes it happens. Um, but even if it's the same OEM manufacturing a computer uh, for an Airbus 320 and a an, uh, 737. Sometimes it happens that you know it's completely different. They are, you cannot swap them. They are, of course, for example, the computer is programmed for the specifics of the of the navigation for a 737 or a 320. So you cannot swap them. So I would say within within aircraft manufacturers there is potential for commonality. Once you step out of this. Not so much. Of course, basic stuff like like you were saying, bolts and 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 nuts and seals and these O-rings. Sometimes, I mean, those are standard materials which are common even across the world. But when it comes to specific material, then not so much. Uh, has the change to composites affected this market in some way? Planes that use more composites, do they have a different type of service requirements and, and a different ways to handle all these aftermarket? Well, it's uh, the way for fixing composites, it's much different than fixing, um, than fixing planes made of, of, of metal. The components, so to say, the, the part that we, that we do is very focused on, on, on replaceable components. And composites, normally, they are part of the structure of the aircraft, for example, the wings. And that has more to do with the materials you require to fix a hole in the wing that has, has been caused by, I don't know, some, uh, some cart hitting the aircraft uh, at the airport. Not so much, it doesn't affect so much in the way the market works from the component side, because in the end, it's just it's computers, it's valves, it's uh, generators, and all these kind of parts, they remain the same, whether the aircraft is made of mainly metal or mainly made, made of uh, composites. It just affects whenever there's a huge damage uh, that, that, yeah, the materials required to fix metal are much different than the materials required to fix composite. And which are the most valuable parts? So if there was a podium here of uh, gold and silver and bronze, who, who would be the, the most sought after and the, the ones that command a higher price on the, on the aftermarket? Yeah. So as, this, this as is individual parts huh? as, as yeah. on their own. Yeah. So, I mean, it always depends on, on the, it's always a matter of market, right? So it's, uh, it, it depends on the, on the availability and on the, on the current demand and, and supply of parts. Um, however, it is undeniable that engines, so full engines themselves, they are, they are the, the top price items. And you can easily spot that when you go to these uh, uh, yards with the hundreds of aircraft that have been dismantled. The first thing they will do when they land is remove the engines and remarket them. Sometimes even the, the aircraft is sold by, by, by the operator to this dismantling company with the condition that they, they are flown, of course, with the engines because they need them in, but they are flown in with the engines. But as long as, uh, as soon as they are, they are, have landed, they will remove the engines and the engines will be uh, shipped back to the operator, maybe to reuse them or, or to resell them. So engines are, are a top 
value item, both the ones used for propulsion, so to say, and also the auxiliary power unit, the APU, which provides electrical power to the aircraft and also sometimes pneumatic power. So these, these are the top value items due to complexity and due to commonality also, as we were saying. However, parts that get replaced often, and we were saying, okay, not all parts in an aircraft are replaced, uh, sometimes not even once, uh, but whatever is frequently used uh, is has some value in the market. Uh, so here we're talking about, as I was saying, computers, all the avionics that help the, the aircraft uh, fly, all the pneumatic and hydraulic systems, all the valves, all, all the generators, anything that essentially moves has put or, or receives some kind of energy or is some kind of electronic uh, has some potential for, for resale. Uh, some of the structural parts too, so structure of the, of the aircraft, especially the ones, the parts that are in the front of the aircraft, you will see also in these yards with hundreds of aircraft that normally they, they don't have the nose, so it's called the radom. It's the radar dome at the front of the aircraft. They don't have that because normally it's a very, it's a part that gets damaged often due to bird strikes or lightning strikes or even in the ground. Um, and sometimes, and that's very interesting, the, the cabins themselves, they are items that are sought after, uh, especially if it's some kind of fleet that has a lot of, of uh, aircraft flying in the world. You can, you can see aftermarket for a, whole cabins of aircraft of, of Airbus 320 or 737. So that has even market, even if it's old seats and some operators think they are too old. Some other operators in some other other parts of the world will see it as uh, as interesting and they will they will buy it. So even the seats for, for the aircraft are interesting. By the cabin you mean you would then dismantle the all the different elements, the seats and, and the, the beans, overhead beans and all of that. Exactly. Um, and reinstall it. Or exactly. The... Fo follow, following the same, the same procedures and provided that, as I was mm -hmm. saying, the, the, the manuals allow that, mm -hmm. um, you can essentially dismantle anything from inside the, the plane and have one next, next to it. And uh, if you do it according to all the regulations and all the manuals, you can, you can swap a cabin from one plane to, to another. Sometimes it's simpler, sometimes not that simple. But what you have to make sure is when you remove something, and that's that's an important point that you have mentioned too, is that whenever you remove something from from an engine, sorry, from an aircraft, and you want it, you want to reinstall it somewhere, or you want to sell it, you normally will run through a repair process, so some kind of recertification process that's uh, also regulated by aviation authorities. It's kind of a very very strict process that you have to follow if you want to be approved as a repair uh, repair facility or repair station. Because what, what's normally the, let's say, documentation that goes with this, uh, of the paperwork? So you have every part and spare. If it's cert certified, the certification, I guess it's for one type, but then every single item also needs to be verified. So every, is... let's say you have like, um, I don't know, what could be an example, like uh, some, some metal piece or some, something that goes into an engine. Every single item will have its own serial number and that's registered somewhere. How does it work? So we have to differentiate here to two kinds of two, two big groups of materials. So you have serialized components and you have what's called in the industry consumables and expendables. So in the serialized components universe, we have these more complex machines 
uh, and that could be anything from a toilet valve to a, to a computer or even to an engine. The engines have their own serial number. So every, every, anything that's in this realm of complex parts um, normally is tracked by a, by a serial number. Then on the consumables and extendable side is what you were saying, metal plates, uh, nuts, bolts, O-rings. These kind of things, they are not serialized, but that doesn't mean that they are not certified. So the, the requirements for the serialized components are that they do have an airworthiness release certificate. In the case of Europe, this is called EASA Form 1. There's an equivalent for this Form 1 in the, in the Chinese Aviation Authority, in the American Aviation Authority, in the Canadian, in the Brazilian. So any component will have a release certificate certifying that this component has been repaired in accordance with the manuals for this part and also done by an approved uh, repair facility, an approved uh, a facility that's approved by the Civil Aviation Authority of the country where they are located. For the consumables and expendables, this is another kind of requirement by the aviation authorities. So they don't need to be certified normally at part level. They don't have a serial number, therefore they cannot be identified. Normally they have batch numbers. and uh, But that doesn't mean they don't require a certification. So normally you would require uh, what's so-called certificate of conformity, meaning that these bolts have been manufactured in accordance with the national standard, and that's why they are called standards. Um, so they, any, essentially any part that goes onto an aircraft has some kind, has to have some kind of paperwork, simply because the mechanic installing this particular part on the engine, on the, on the aircraft, sorry, they, they need to know that this is an, an approved part and they will not play the game and say, okay, this bolt, I don't know where it comes from. I don't, I don't have any paperwork. I am not sure about it. They will not put that at risk and they will not install this part. So anything that goes into the supply chain of an airline has a paperwork, has a trace that allows, uh, allows the part to be safe or that certifies that the part is safe in accordance with all the regulations. And when we talk about the, the paper trail, is it really like a physical paper? What sort of format do you, do you uh, store this information into? At the moment, it is, it is a hard copy. It is a piece of paper uh, that, that you receive from your repair station. However, however on, this, on this repair, on this certificate, normally you, you only have the last, the last performed work, the last information, for example, the amount of accumulated hours that this part had. But you cannot really go into the details of this operator operated this part for a certain number of time. Then it went to this repair facility and it was repaired in accordance with this. And it was shipped back to another operator who operated it for uh, another amount of, of time. The, the whole system is thought that every everyone does their part. So a part that sometimes that somehow loses their identity, this this paperwork, will mean that they will not they will not be able to use them anymore. However, at this point there are no technologies um, that allow for uh, there are technologies but they are not being used that allow for the trace of specific parts, say back to birth. And this sometimes is a is a problem for some operators specifically for more complex parts. How much of a problem is counterfeiting? Uh, is there counterfeiting in this 
in this whole chain of supply or that's something that has been tackled mainly because i heard some people telling me about well maybe you know you hear some cases that some operators were using parts that were counterfeit but with all this paper trail it seems difficult to actually get this to happen it has happened in the past uh you can you can never rule out anything but uh it's 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 a criminal offense to to fake for example an airworthiness release certificate um so whenever this happens the, the, the civil aviation authorities or also specifically in europe uh easa the the agency for aviation safety is overlooking a lot the parts and when when somebody suspects that this the paperwork coming from some source is questionable they are able to report it and easa can investigate it and there are cases where where civil aviation authorities have to release uh notes to 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 the operators and say hey we have detected that this specific part and serial numbers one to x have been potentially repaired by an unapproved organization so anyone that can track these parts in their systems they should remove them immediately so this has happened in the future uh however it's as i say it's a criminal offense so it's a, it's a crime if you do that you can get in, into in, into big trouble it is it is difficult i would say it it doesn't it doesn't happen so often i have seen it once in all my professional career but it is not something that you can you can rule out the zero risk never exists and is the sort of trend towards digitalization that we are seeing in many of these industrial processes in aviation is it also changing your work in some way just a few days ago for example i had here in the podcast two professionals from the aviation fuel sector and we discussed how for example for fuel supply um, there's a number of initiatives to make all these processes more efficient through platforms um, you mentioned that there's still a lot of paper physical paper involved in many of these transactions what role do digital tools play into this world so everything and, and not only in in the supply chain of spare parts as i'm really focusing on that but you can see that in in many other areas within within airlines uh you see that the trend is to remove paperwork and start using more digital tools um when it comes to maintenance of aircraft in general not only focusing now on on spare parts you see strong players in the market and uh so far airbus is 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 having very interesting products and also lufthansa technic has uh, very interesting products that help um engineers mechanics uh people monitoring trends and reliabilities see even sometimes even real time how the aircraft are performing and they are able to also forecast or plan removals of parts because there are some indications that some temperatures are rising in some areas of the aircraft that might mean that the part is about to fail or might fail in the near future um so it's very interesting because both so aircraft manufacturers uh, are moving into the digital world and by doing so they are also capturing a lot of knowledge from the operation of the aircraft that they didn't used to have um so it's a it's a double edged sword it helps 
operators perform better and do better maintenance, but it also gives aircraft manufacturers a bit more power over, or a bit more knowledge and therefore power over how their aircraft perform. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, this is, this is happening. Also now going back to, to the spares business, we are seeing a lot of um, marketplaces arising. So new uh, companies wanting to improve the way parts are sourced and also the, the whole, the whole process from the said advertising the part, making it available to the market down through the, the invoicing of the part uh, of the sale. So they are, there are a lot of marketplaces uh, popping up. Sometimes we believe also too many. And, uh, but that, that shows the, the willingness of the industry to move towards uh, a digital, digital operation. And that's, I think, very exciting also for, for us as a, as a consultancy, because that, uh, and, and we are strong, strong supporters of digitalization because it, it, in the end it improves the efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, data management is becoming a very, very strong point and, and operators are also noticing that they cannot operate anymore as they were doing in the, in the 90s or in the 2000s. Uh, they need to have these new capabilities, the new talent, new people has to be employed that have the ability to manage data, to analyze all these outputs coming from the different systems to make meaningful decisions that improve the the efficiency of the of the operations save money that make the aircraft safer that make them more reliable so they can fly more hours and therefore make more money for the operators we see a lot of a lot of uh, people a lot of companies moving towards this direction what about the the pricing because this is obviously a, a, a global market like many other markets that are global i don't know if we possibly cannot call it a commodity market because it's not really a commodity but i guess in some parts we are, are supposed to be homogeneous 737 can be either in europe or in australia or in, in brazil it's, it's going to be still 737 so there's a number of interchangeable parts so what drives the prices and, and how you guys stay on top of, of the pricing? I mean, is there like some sort of centralized stock market in, in a way uh, or some platform where you can verify these prices? Or this is just the know-how you, you guys get after many years working in this industry? So first, uh, let's start from the beginning where you, it's very interesting that you mention it because we believe parts of the market supply are being commoditized, therefore not as profitable as they used to be. And as you said, this is more the common supply, the common parts that are supplied to, to fleets that are more or less common. So 737. One question, if I can stop you here, uh, because in, in this market, uh, obviously you have the OEMs, then some, some large groups, like you mentioned, like the, the Safran's and Honeywell's and all these mm-hmm. large groups. Those are obviously the ones that put their components into the, the brand new aircraft. But is there also an other industry that specializes in, in um, producing only spares for aftermarket? Are there other, let's say, smaller companies with uh, the equivalent of a private label, to, to put it in, in consumer terms, uh, that, that produces these uh, non-branded spares for, for this market as well? Um, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> so uh, the, the OEM can license whoever they deem necessary to produce a specific part in accordance with their, the, the, produc- the production specifications. However, uh, there are 
options in the regulation in the current regulations for operators to find um, say additional suppliers or suppliers that produce parts in accordance with the operator's needs. Uh, however, you can only do that for simple parts or parts that are not, not exposed to heat, that they don't rotate. But let's think, for example, cabin parts. We were talking before about a cabin. In the cabin, there's a lot of plastic parts that you can easily produce with a 3D printer or you can easily extrude and you don't need the manufacturer of the specific seat to, to provide you this sometimes in, in very unfavorable conditions, not only for the price, but also for the lead times that sometimes these, uh, these parts come with. So operators can have, and this is called the, the parts manufacturer approval, it's called a PMA process. Operators can find cheaper ways and better ways to produce simple parts in, in a way that, you know, like this, this, these brands that you, the supermarket brands that you can, that you can find in the supermarket, which is almost the same product, sometimes even produced by the same company that produced a branded product. But this is, uh, this is uh, perfectly uh, safe, it's applicable, and it's in accordance with regulations. So in short, yes, you can get somebody else to produce a part that you, that you know it's, it, it's simple, it's safe, in accordance with all the, again, all, all the processes and regulations, because in the end it's a regulated market, but you, you can find this. And uh, as you were saying, so the market is commoditized for some parts, but sometimes specifically for new for new aircraft, then you have no other option than to go with with the OEMs because there's no aftermarket. So long as there's an aftermarket, there's a, a lot of supply, a lot, a lot of demand, uh, and you can commoditize it or it, it eventually becomes commoditized. But for new aircraft, this is this is not possible, and you have to just accept whatever conditions you get from the from the OEMs, and, and you have no other option. That includes the prices. So you you would you would uh, then get in touch with a OEM or whomever is approved producer of that part and spare, and and then uh, get a exactly quote. exactly. And what about second hand? What about second hand? I mean, how you know? For example, you might be looking for some spares for a seven three seven, and uh, someone's got them in I don't know in Malaysia or in in Mexico. And mm -hmm. how how you guys then locate? those spares and get a reasonable price for them is this also through uh, your knowledge of people in the industry or there are there are forums where people trade this type of thing there are as i was saying there there have been a lot of uh, platforms for advertising stock for for many years now some some are more known than others but so far it was only like a listing of parts somebody would upload some some list uh, some excel file onto onto the the cloud and this would get published in in a website the problem then comes when people upload parts or lists that of parts that they don't really own so they become a trader a middleman and then they say that i i have this part but uh, when whenever you get asked you have to ask somebody else and that slows the whole process what we are seeing so there are these platforms and they are still there and they are a good source of information sometimes to know where to go, at least at the beginning. Uh, but we are seeing is that this is being kind of complemented with more value adding uh, functionalities, which are, for example, the, the whole order management or the tracking of the of the sale and so on. So we particularly did, we, we don't know where to buy everything but we know where to find who <laughs> who can buy a certain a certain part and uh, talking about pricing also sometimes these these uh, platforms contain price sometimes not 
but um, it is possible that you know prices in the aftermarket become 30 40% uh, of the price that the same part would have from from new so from that perspective is 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 very advantageous to know who might have this another thing is that the surplus of the surplus market and and airlines buy sometimes a lot of material that they actually don't need and that's also where we step in and we 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 can help during for example the the initial provisioning phase so when you get a new aircraft you get a lot of uh, you know uncertainty because it's a new aircraft you never operated so airlines tend to overbuy parts and we help them be rational and say okay you should start during the first year with these parts you should you should get increase your stock by by the end of this year when you have the such fleet so we we help them avoid a surplus because in the end what happens is airlines end up with huge amounts of inventory uh which they have to resell of course, sometimes at a, at a loss. Uh, and uh, that also drives the, the whole value of the market down, the prices they, they drive down because new surplus, new surplus material is coming to the market. So it, it's possible that, you know, even airlines are selling um, parts themselves because they have overstock of some kind. And also it's very interesting because there's a lot of corporations. So one, one might think uh, airlines fight a lot and they do. Uh, but even with rival alliances, rival companies, there are very few airlines that I know that they don't support uh, when they get a request uh, for for material and they have material available and they they don't mind giving something so that another operator can keep on flying. So there's still this chivalry and say, okay, uh, we're all in this together. And that's actually true and was true before. But it's very interesting to see how, how even airlines that would fight to death, they, they support each other when it comes to spare parts. And I guess the logistics of this are also quite complex. If you have to ship these uh, pieces of metal from, from one part of the world to another. Um, exactly. Do, do you guys also take care of this, of coordinating we, all these shipments? Uh, and I guess it's normally quite urgent. I mean, if you have an airplane that has needs some repair and you need to ship a uh, a component from, from one continent to another, for example, you might need it as soon as possible. Exactly. So the, we, we do not do our, this ourselves. We don't have this, this capability, but again, we, we have the network of, of providers that can provide this and we can also have tenders this service for an airline if, if needed. And yes, as you say, and it's a very, it's the, the worst nightmare of a person working in, in a maintenance organization is that are three letters that they are called AOG. That means aircraft on ground. Um, when you hear this, then people get goosebumps and say, okay, now we have to work towards this. But the, the logistics behind are ready to ship any kind and literally any kind of part from anywhere in the world in a matter of hours. So I've seen parts uh, coming from Singapore to Europe in less than 15 hours, which is kind of amazing. And uh, also the industry is sometimes very, very crazy in the way uh, it's managed and the logistics are managed because um, sometimes these parts are very big. So imagine you have a problem with triple uh, seven somewhere in the world and you need to replace the whole engine a whole engine of the triple seven doesn't fit almost anywhere even you have to to, to, to disassemble to make it f- somehow fit in a freighter 
and I've seen Antonovs being being rented, chartered, just for the sake of shipping one single engine. Uh, and that comes as a, at a huge price tag. That's kind of part of the business. Everything is very expensive because everything has to be very, very fast. Um, but the supply chains are super responsive in, in this perspective. So there's teams working around the clock anywhere in the world uh, to make sure that parts are moved uh, as swiftly as possible. And it's it's incredible. It's a 24-7 operation for, for AOG, AOG cases. All airlines in the world uh, have some kind of AOG service or AOG so-called desk or team that's managing this, just managing the urgent cases. Sometimes they are none and they are watching movies. And they are very lucky because they don't have any case. But when they have, uh, they have a case, these individuals are super professional and, and they know which you know which strings to pull to to make things work super fast and sometimes this amazes me so much let's say one of these um aog cases i guess the people in charge would start calling people like uh to get the, exactly. the spare parts first in house i guess then if it's not in house they're the, the closest then Farther exactly. And farther. It all depends. It, it all depends on where where the case is. So sometimes you're yeah. lucky and it's close to your base, or even in your base. But sometimes, as I say, you are an operator based in Paris and you have the case uh, in Bangkok, and then you have to you have to know how to ship a part from wherever in the world. Probably you would turn to Asia. You would go to Singapore and see if somebody would have a part there that can get shipped with an external carrier, of course to Bangkok and then get the, your maintenance in Bangkok to coordinate a pickup from, from the aircraft coming from Singapore. So it's, it's extremely, extremely communication intensive business, the, the, the AOG world. And that's why they are so good at keeping connections. And that sometimes is just the, the only way to survive when you have an AOG is to know the right people in the right places of the world. Um, so it's very, it's very, it's, it's one of the most exciting parts of the, of the business to see AOG cases being solved that you would think, oh my God, I would never, never be able to do that so fast. But these people pull it off and it's, uh, it's so, so, so good to see. Definitely, it's, a, it's a really interesting what can go on behind the scenes. One of the re reasons I, I started this podcast is to be able to learn from, from people like you that know this industry inside out. So, uh, well, thank you so much. I think it's, it's been a great introduction to the world of uh, spare parts and all the supply chains that keep the aircraft flying 24-7. But yeah, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And it was a pleasure talking to and you again. Just before uh, switching off the recording, people that wish to contact you, uh, where should they go? Uh, Nextpairs website? In our Nextpairs, uh, nextpairs.com uh, website, they can, they can find a, a form where they can contact us. Uh, and also via LinkedIn, they, we are easily reachable. So uh, it's, it's quite easy to reach us. In any case, I will add links to the show notes to make sure that everyone that wishes to reach out to you can do so easily. And uh, yeah, if, uh, and if you're interested, go check out the website. I have it open here now. It's nexpares.com. So yeah, hopefully speak with you soon sometime. And uh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure, Mikael. Thank you.
And one more thing before you go. Remember, you can subscribe to the Oplane podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other platforms. If you like this podcast, please do not hesitate to give it a good rating or to recommend it to a friend. See you soon. Yeah.